You're listening to the audio-only version of Soundwriting Pedagogies. Visit ccdigitalpress.org soundwriting for the full web text version of the book. Every other spring, I teach a multimodal composition class for our majors. Now, this is still a fairly new class on our campus, and I've only taught it a few times. And each time, I've organized the class around studies of modes in isolation. So my idea was this very part-to-whole approach. We would think about a mode's affordances, say, what can you do with digital sound? And then we would experiment composing in that mode, leading up to our concluding with this grand gathering of modes and a final project that would put the multi in multimodal. So it makes sense, right? I mean, this approach worked for the most part the first couple times I taught the course, but then something terrifying and wonderful happened, and I realized that my plan wasn't going to work this time. This email is to notify you that a deaf, hard-of-hearing student is registered for your multimodal composition class. Please remember that all videos must be captioned, and any audio recordings must have transcripts. Thank you. That a deaf, hard-of-hearing student is registered for your multimodal composition class. I mean, how do you teach sound without, well, sound? And I couldn't see how to move forward. Okay, so I looked back at my schedule. You know, the plan. I had blocked three weeks of the semester to study sound. Three weeks of listening. Three weeks of speaking, recording, layering, remixing sounds. And one student in the class wouldn't be able to participate. I started looking through the models I planned to use in class. And example after example was just not ADA compliant, meaning there was no captioning and no transcripts. I'm talking about award-winning journalism in national publications. And texts commonly referenced in multimodal comp classes, even our textbook's companion digital resource, failed to be compliant. And by that, I mean none of them had a means of accessing sound for someone who is deaf. So I started thinking about student projects. What was gonna happen when we composed with sound or when we recorded our voices or listened for peer review? And at that point, all I could see were hurdles and they were just too many to overcome. Honestly, I debated cutting our study of sound altogether. But then I realized that if I did that, it wouldn't be fair to the hearing students. And that would be just as much a disservice. But still, I just couldn't resolve this injustice of planning activities or looking at texts that denied access to someone who is deaf. So after the initial shock, my inner scholar went down this philosophical rabbit hole, trying to figure out what was happening and and why was this such a problem for me? Despite good intentions, I realized that my approach to teaching multimodality was grounded in this framework, this rhetoric, 
that privileged dominant normative responses to sound. In my course design, oh, it sent a message loud and clear by failing to recognize individuals who couldn't hear it clearly. I designed this class that defines sound as a fundamentally aural mode for communication. I realized that my hearing speaking body limited my understanding of sound. And it wasn't until that moment that I could see I was perpetuating this closet hierarchy in sound writing by making hearing and verbalizing with sound a dominant activity in the class. So my semester working with Kirsten in the multimodal comp class taught me more about what I didn't know about sound than what I thought I did know about sound. I'm pretty sure I still don't have it figured out in terms of how to teach sound. I'm certain that I haven't, which really is the point. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to sound writing. A pivotal lesson in my humbling experience. Instead, I offer my narrative as a reflection, both theoretical and practical, of my attempts to hear, see, and feel sound differently 